0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Michael Zalavari, and today we're going to be touching on European Le Mans Series interaction and looking ahead to the WEC. But because everyone's schedules are out the window at the moment, thanks, world. Uh, we're going to be doing it in at least two parts. So for part one tonight, I am joined with Ollie. Hello, Ollie. Hello, Michael. Uh, and we'll be talking about the ELMS and we'll chat about the WEC, um, their return to racing after seven months. And we'll have Cookie, Monster, Austin and uh, Chris Washer doing their bit to cover off the IMSA action over in their part of the world. But firstly, Ollie, ELMS is back! ELMS is back! It's great. How good uh, does it feel? Great.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's... It's kind of the first one that I've been looking forward to the most coming back online since oh, February-odd time when mm. we last had this kind of racing. It's been a long wait for European oh. Le Mans Series, especially after how last the last season concluded right up to the last race. Mm. Uh, it was kind of, that hype was kind of... Lasting over Christmas, as like, oh, what's it going to be like next season? What's it going to be like next season? Absolutely, <laughs> and that. Couldn't start
0: until now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been a July start for the European Le Mans Series. It's the peak of summer and probably the latest start that the ELMS has had in quite a fair time. And I mean, we did have the Asian Le Mans Series over the summer for well, summer for me, winter for you guys. But it's not quite that same itch. And honestly, I was very, very happy to have the ELMS back. I thought it was a very good return to racing, to be honest. At the at Paul Ricard, the four hours that was there, it wasn't anything too extravagant or surprising but it was an elms race and from the very minute it started you just kind of settled in you're like ah yes this is this is elms this is exactly what it should feel like at least that was my feeling what were your feelings i think it was good distraction part of this
1: is kind of keeping people entertained while they're stuck at home quite a lot of people stuck at home but yeah it it was kind of comforting to
0: have this back Mm. um that that feeling. Yeah. Um, comforting is the right mm-hmm. word. And I know personally that a lot of times in some dark times in my life, motorsport has been the comforting factor. Uh, you know, something to look forward to at the weekend, something to, to get through the week to watch. And it certainly felt like that on that particular day as well because I'd had a shocker. So it was nice. It's nice to have that comfort. And we've got more comfort coming up. This weekend in particular is packed. But let's talk about the ELMS race. And firstly, uh, it was a no-holds-barred battle in P2 that went down to the wire, and it was United Autosports back in a big way. It was such a statement from them coming back to the season. A double podium for the cross-Atlantic team uh, and taking the win in P3 as well. Yeah, it's just United have
1: really hit the ground running, um, showing how they're a pretty professional team in Pro-Am and yeah it it's just stated their claim at this season hmm. you know look out for us we're coming
0: yeah and um, we we kind of touched on that in the preview as well we said that their second car which has traditionally been a bit iffy, had all of a sudden taken a massive step up with Brundle and Van Oetert behind the wheel. And that was the car that ended up taking the win. The sister car was also in the mix, uh, the Hanson Albuquerque car, they had a late puncture, which kind of put pay to their final strike at the the challenge, or challenge for the win rather. Um, but honestly, they could have walked away with a 1-2 and no one would have been surprised. Yeah, I I, I, I think they
1: should have had a 1-2. Um, and that's a, a testament to... The uh, moves that they've been making in last season so the the second car uh, well we call second car in adverted commas, the 32 they um, moved later to the Orica chassis and uh, so they've had less time especially Willow in the the amateur uh, in that car, the Silver but also they've made moves with the driver's lineups with Van Aute, as you mentioned joining and you know Yes, sure, he's young and relatively inexperienced. He's bloody quick. Mm. And that showed he was making moves and had really, really good um, lap times. So I think maybe the balance is shifting away from the 22 to the 32 in the United Autosports stable. But I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a a battle between the two of them for the title and United are going to have... An awkward decision to make if they're (laughs) you know double stacking or getting in the way of each other in pit stops and things like that kind of a bit like how toyota are next to each other in the pit lane and they over the last couple of years of world endurance championship they've kind of staggered the pit stops and things and i you know is that going to affect one team over the other is there going to be any
0: favoritism i don't know yeah then, um... certainly a compelling question that you posed there in the end it was the 32 that had the ascendancy i think even through the pit stops as well but they weren't unchallenged the number 26 car of course the ever-present 26 kept them honest and they had uh the Graf racing car uh thomas laurent james allen and anthony cuñard as well uh in the mix but Graf. Uh, had a drive time violation late in the... Well, uh, post-race, and got, so got kicked off the podium. Ollie, why do drive time indiscretions still happen? Honestly, you would think that after many seasons that these guys have been racing in the ELMS, even for new teams, like, uh, of all the things you could mess up, a drive time infraction is one of those things that is so simple. Uh, how How does it keep happening? Well, before... Before the race, like you
1: have uh, the briefings, you've got the team meetings, the strategists talking about how you're going to split the driver times to optimize the time that your amateur, your silver um, or below is in the car. So you kind of lose the least and so that you have your faster drivers in when it counts. But things never go to plan mm, in terms yeah. of safety cars, in terms of full course yellows where you you are you are it is more beneficial rather to have your amateur when the cars are going slower, so you kind of burn up that time now maybe they changed their strategy mid race and took a risk um maybe they i can't remember the 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 under time the the time that was still required from I, the the driver i think it but, was you know could it have been a
0: lap time um, that they kind of thought that the race would go another another lap I don't know it was 3 laps so 6 minutes and 6 seconds so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a small indiscretion that's that's significant so uh, a bit of a shame for graf they lost their podium for that but it was uh, a bit of a you know a typical ACO stamp on what was a typical ACO event really yeah it had the same feel mm. of um, previous races the only thing was you know
1: people wearing masks and standing further apart than each other it, and... it had the same feeling there there were some teams that that unfortunately couldn't attend um so on that respect yes there was a difference but there was still a pretty sizable grid let's be honest yeah it, it was massive um so it kind of hid
0: hit that pretty well and you're not gonna you're like stick your nose up at 15 lmp2 cars racing against each other especially with that level of quality in the field uh are you at all oh, um we should talk about a, a few of the maybe unsung heroes or smaller stories in the P2 field. Firstly, I want to point out um, the job that Mikkel Jensen did at the seat of the 26 coming out of the championship winning LMP3 car last season straight into the G-Drive racing car and put in a very good performance. Um, so the, the ACO ladder seems to be working well, not just for teams, but for drivers as well. And a pretty impressive drive as well from the Richard Mill Racing Team uh, LMP2 car of uh, Negrau and Calderon. It was in the end they ended up fifth, a uh, fifth overall. So a really good result on their first outing uh, in the in the number fifty car. Yeah, I think the 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 fit for Andre Negral in
1: the Richard Mill team was quite plug and play because I believe that number 50 car is run by Signotech. Yes. And Negral has worked or driven with them in the World Endurance Championship. So it might be he has a a familiar setup um, that he can kind of plug in and work with Calderon pretty quickly because there there wasn't that much time to sort that drive out after the unfortunate um, injury to Catherine Leg in practice um, or the the test session. The test session, yeah. So, yeah, um, that was that was a good start to a, a new outfit, um, even though, yes, they are using an experienced team to operate the car. I'm looking forward to seeing what the, this car can do. And then you mentioned before, yes, Mikkel Jensen. He's an up-and-coming star from LMP3, proving that, that ladder, as you say. And... You wouldn't, if you if you watched European Le Mans series for the first time at that race, you would think that he would be a seasoned pro, because the amount of consistent fast laps he was putting in, compared to racing wheel to wheel against the pros of the um, competition around him, he he looked experienced. He looked like he was positioning the car well. He was overtaking well. He was using the traffic well. I think. This is going to be a massive car for the championship because of that standout performance, uh, Mm. if he can keep it up across the year. I mean, I don't know how they do it, especially with the 26. Now, that's three different super silver drivers in a row um, between Andrea Pizzatola, Jovanota, and now Mikkel Jensen. And it just feels ridiculous, like they're breaking the... uh, the system, like as if they're breaking the rules. It's just it feels, it's, yeah, it feels wrong, so wrong, like they're the evil kind of, you know, in inverted commas, the evil team. But
0: well, we we do joke that they're like, the it's like they, they're, the, so they're, they're the the evil empire of the LMS field or the WEC field because they are just. You look at that team on paper and it's almost unassailable, and yeah, on track it's almost the same as well. Yeah, and and also let's
1: not forget the um, the move from Jean-Eric Verne to Nick de Vries. Um, yeah. Nick de Vries is going on strength to strength with his pro, pro um connections after getting up to speed in sports cars with Racing Team Nederland in World Endurance Championship and yeah he did another great performance um in now
0: in the European Le Mans Series. Yeah so um, you've just you just good said moves. You just sent me a uh, a little graph, uh, a box plot sort of thing here, uh, showing some of the LMP2 drivers. Do you want to just quickly explain what it's showing and why why the twenty six should have possibly been on top? So the it, it, it's it's from um, Timing seventy
1: one, the um, free timing service, uh, which is fantastic. Shout out James Muskett thank you James it shows shows all of the lap times from each of the around about top 10 drivers that I've cropped the picture to be and across the all the lap times you get to see the averages and the top driver is Nick DeVries and the second best driver is Mikkel Jensen and that's uh, ahead of lots of other pro and amateur drivers Now, one of the, another standout performance is Will Owen Mm. in the winning, so he was the winning silver driver, and he was in third place. Now, he's been in United Autosports in the LMP2 since, gosh, uh, he's been, I know he was at Le Mans in 2017, at least, and in in a United P2 when they were in the Ligiers. Um, So he has some history, you know, it's not like he's new to it but he was kind of on the fringes back then. And I think now he's really stating his claim to potentially being a future pro. Yeah. Maybe next season onwards, um, if he gets uprated. So yes, this, um, analysis service from, uh, James Muscat is, is fantastic to just at a glance, do something like this to compare each driver, um, during and after the race. Um, and it, Puts into uh, it shines a light on how the amateurs and the pros
0: are kind of comparing against each other and. And yeah, it shows yeah. that uh, yeah, Jensen in particular had a, a stunning first race in a P2 car. I'm, I am knew that he did well. I, I kind of picked that up from watching, but I didn't realize he'd done that well. I mean, the second fastest average lap time and a much tighter consistency than Nick DeFreeze in the same car uh, in terms of the consistency plot. And then just faster than everyone else. That's kind of a little ridiculous, to be honest. Uh, it's, yeah... It shows the the worth of having a good team behind you uh, when you're stepping up the ladder. So well done to to Jensen for, for making that move in particular. Now, we've talked a little bit about the teams that had a good first outing. Now, let's turn our attention to those who didn't have quite a nice first outing in the ELMS for 2020. Uh, last season's champion, uh, IDEX Sport, had a shocking race. They suffered from electrical problems pretty well throughout the race. They only completed 30 laps, so while they ended up on track at the end of the race, they didn't complete enough laps to get classified. So a big zero for them. Also zeros for Panis Racing, who suffered problems. They were my dark horse for the weekend. And Duquesne, your favorite team, or your uh, team of choice, I guess. Um, what, how would you describe Duquesne, your relationship with Duquesne Engineering? Ollie? I I picked them for fantasy in, uh,
1: for, was it last year's Le Mans, maybe the year before, and got burned, um, <laughs> pretty bad. But yeah, I think they are a good team and are growing and growing more now with the LMP3 that we'll talk about later. But,
0: um, yeah, you, I, I remember that discussion about Le Mans because they'd come off the reserve list and had, uh, the porsche roman Dumas. yeah roman demar um and you were like oh yeah they're gonna be great they're gonna win everything and then yeah they had a, a bit of a torrid time but yeah they they unfortunately had a failure as well and then on the last lap of the race high class racing with a failure which resulted in a dnf because they weren't running at the finish so uh big offs for those guys uh and there was a few other we'll talk a bit more about some other big offs throughout the field but for IDEX Sport, that is not the way you want to start your championship defense, is it? Yeah, it's big, big points lost um, uh, straight off the bat. Mm. There,
1: there's a, It's a strong team, it's strong drivers, and uh, bringing in Richard Bradley, who performed pretty well. So yeah, uh, former Le Mans winner in P2 as well. So it's just not how you want to uh, hit the ground running
0: yeah and uh, especially with the the tighter season in terms of logistically uh, I think there's even less running I think I might have chopped around as well and in preparation for Le Mans that's not really a great sign uh, in terms of their champion- Each their- round is
1: more important what was yeah. that sorry each
0: round is more important yeah exactly point wise uh- Now, just a a final comment on P2 before we move on. Uh, Just a a few looks at indications from the season. So we've talked about United Autosports and G-Drive. Graf were in the mix before they had their drive time issue. But I want to just quickly point out that the top five cars were Michelin-clad runners. Uh, Not a great weekend for the Goodyears uh, for their four teams in the race, uh, finishing sixth Tenth and two DNFs for the Goodyear runners. So, do we think the what do we think about the tire battle in P two? I think the it's like a, a a bias from
1: having so many teams that are um, on Michelin's happening to be also some of the best teams. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the best teams is uh, Algarve Pro Racing, who are backed by Goodyear. With their white and black livery, uh, the 24 was doing super well at the start, um, and unfortunately had a puncture. Now, is that because of debris or is that because of actually the tyre development? Yeah. Or I don't know. But there's a good opportunity. But it, you know, if there are four Goodyear cars and only one of them or two of them have got a competitive lineup, when you're comparing it against war. Well, uh, 11 which uh, michelin cars which have well, maybe five or six competitive driver lineups you, you've you you've starting off the race on the back foot in terms of the tire war mm. so also the Michelin teams they've they've got the wealth of data yeah behind them uh, and so it's kind of just an uphill battle at the start of every race yeah, for the, the Goodyear
0: cars? It's kind of the same situation we've described many times on this podcast of the, the P217 chassis. you know, The fact that Orica has just this wealth and depth of data and teams and talent and the teams running the other uh, chassis, uh, most notably the Dallara and the Ligier, might not have that same quality uh, at, to contend with the teams running the Oricas. Uh, interesting point there. Uh, so yeah, that was the the P two race. Any final comments on the P two race before we move on? Besides the fact that it was awesome and amazing, and God, I love me some P two racing. I second that. Obviously, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but I think the there's more to come from Spa onwards because a lot of the more competitive runners didn't make it. I especially. They yeah. they should have been up there. And to have, we, we did have three cars going at it in the top. Um, uh, and, and also let's not forget graph. So yeah, top four cars were going at it. Add the IDEC in there, definitely, because they're a really great lineup and team. And we're going to have a, a great season coming up in terms of battles. Mm. Um, Dragon Speed, maybe they can throw a race or two up the front as well with Ben Hanley. He's a great driver. Um, And yeah, maybe uh, Goodyear have a good race um, coming up one or two good races um, coming up as well on the Goodyear tire. Maybe they, um, pull it out the bag mm. yeah it's going to be great
0: yeah the fingers crossed and it would be it would be nice to see a, a true no-holes battle between not just United and G-Drive and Graf but also IDeck as you mentioned but Panas and Duquesne as well I think those two teams are going to be uh fly under the radar a little bit just simply because of the quality of everyone else in the in the lmp 2 field so those two teams I still think are teams definitely to watch and it's unfortunate they both had problems at Le Castellet now P3 was also full of intrigue firstly the fact that we had the debut of the new P3 regulations the Ligier JSP 320 and the Duquesne M30D08 were the two chassis of choice for the weekend. Remember, the the Duquesne as well had a uh, 10-kilo weight penalty for the the homologation being not submitted on time, which is, you know, a little annoying if you're a, a fan of the old Norma, which has now become the Duquesne. But it was, a again... LMP3 has a habit of flying a little under the radar because of the complexities in the pit stop rules, and I feel like it suffered a little bit for how engaging LMP2 was throughout the race. But it was the usual suspects at the front. We made mention that United capped off their great weekend with a win in P3 as well, and then it was Inter Europol competition. The 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 Bakers in the the green and slightly weirder yellow liveried car this time around. Um and then RLI M Sport uh making good headway to finish third on the podium. Uh what were your thoughts on the P three race? It was close. Mm.
1: Right up to the end. It was only four seconds the gap. First and second and United overtook um to take the lead um in the last phase of the race. Um I think flying under the radar is the best way to put it because yep. there's less exposure uh, on camera it feels like um and and also not so com- close and competitive especially between the chassis yeah um, as you mentioned the 10 kilo ballasts uh, to every car not the best but you know let's also remember some of these amateurs might also be having an extra 10 kilos of <laughs> on them, um, compared to professional drivers who might be a bit fitter. But, uh, anyway, um, I think the bigger issue is Duquesne picking up or, or how the transition between Norma and Duquesne happened. The way I understand it is Duquesne bought the rights to the P3 building um the tender tender that's the right word yeah Uh, thank you No, and i think they lost a lot of the expertise in that transfer so they kind of get the p3 and then have to get on with it themselves and i don't think they've got up to speed with it compare especially when you compare it to ligier who are an established supplier they have all the data. They have years of testing. Now, yes, the car is different, but it's relatively similar. But also, they could have hit the ground running with testing quicker yeah. because Duquesne had to sort out how to build a car first um, from scratch, rather than a team that knows how to build yeah. cars. Uh, you know, decades of experience.
0: Yeah, and that's a that's a great point that I think maybe uh, hasn't been touched on. And if you look at the, just the difference in race finishing, not the positions, but the terms of distance covered, the top Norma, or sorry, the top Duquesne, which was Nielsen Racing, which is an established team that has won races in the past with drivers that have experience in P3 machinery, not just in Europe, but around the world, finished Two laps down, two laps, almost three laps down, two laps and 90 seconds down. So that's a significant gap in performance in the first race of the season uh, of teams of comparable uh, caliber. Uh, So it's, yeah, I I think there there might have been, as you put it, a a bit more of a a messy transition um, because... You wouldn't expect it, uh, the, the the chassis uh, after Norma had done so much work and had done quite a good job. Remember, it was basically a Ligier whitewash uh, in the first few years of LMP3. Uh, you know, after Janetta uh, Janetta's entry and subsequent exit of the El- European Le Mans Series. And then it Normo started to become a bit more of a figure, but it seems to be going back the other way now. It seems that uh at least from early signs that the Ligier is the P three machine to have. Um Yeah. Hopefully,
1: yeah, there, there's more hopefully there's more parity in future, um, as the teams develop and um engineer the cars and get used to them a bit more. We'll see. We'll see
0: yeah and there is two other p three machines that have were not represented. We've mentioned that Genetta uh has a tender as well uh unfortunately, they weren't able to pick up any established customers in the ELMS field for the first race uh and then a des as well yeah
1: um <laughs> they did, did have a customer oh they unfortunately, did yeah they they did um have uh, several customers i believe and one of them is an established ELMS team that, unfortunately, after the impacts of COVID, couldn't make it. Uh, yeah, and the economic situation could not make it and enter their uh, G59 or 61. I can't remember. <laughs> that.
0: Yeah, so it was unfortunate that we weren't able to see uh, another chassis on on the grid in the form of the Genetta and then the Ades model um has not really been picked up unless you're in Australia, in which it was the first P3 model to be delivered to Australia for the uh, upcoming uh, LMP3 series. Which I don't think it was a
1: new one though. I think it was an old outgoing regulation. Yeah, probably. One.
0: <laughs> to be honest uh the there's been so many whispers and uh rumours about the p three championship, so not quite sure what to expect from it just yet in Australia, but we'll see what happens um any other comments you had on p three before we move on? I know it's uh no we haven't really talked much about it, but it's we we talk about it flying under the radar and it's because it gets so spread out in the middle because of the pit stop rules the compulsory pit stop lengths it becomes very difficult to track. Uh, uh yeah so I, I think there there isn't really much else that i can say off the top of my head unless you had something to add
1: well i was, I was going to ask you how you felt about the pace of the LMP3s going up and how they mesh with um the GTE lap times and the P2 lap times because for the last regulation cycle the P3s were when you especially when you have an amateur in the car uh, overlapping with the gte lap times where a, a pro in a gte car can mm-hmm. go faster potentially than an amateur in an lmp3 and it got quite messy now part of that is potentially an entertain a source of entertainment um but also now it's it's more segregated in terms of lap times yeah sure there were some amateurs that were slower than gtes and getting in the way it kind of Maybe sanitized it a little bit. Uh, um,
0: I don't quite think the it, it improvement. Yeah, I, I I don't quite think the improvements have been as extravagant as people were expecting. Sure, they're quicker. So just looking at the peak lap times of the LMP3 cars, they're about two to three seconds a lap quicker than the fastest the GTE would go. But the leading P3 car only finished a single lap ahead of the leading GTE. So it's not as if that that uh, overlap is entirely uh, entirely wiped out. There were occasions where a amateur in a P3 car got involved in a battle for position in GTE and ended up holding up one or multiple parties in the GTE field and there were occasions where a pro in a GTE car st- 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 like tried to carve its way through the P3 field and ended up holding up one or more P3 drivers throughout that. Um I Oh, it's it's a very interesting in- interesting point because I'm not sure what I want the answer to be. Right? Um, I think it is okay that they overlap, and I'm not necessarily sure that they're uh, that removing the overlap by giving the P3 more pace is a wise or necessary decision. But I can certainly understand how it could be frustrating to have a prototype car that is much quicker through the corners interfering with a gte battle where they've got much more straight line prowess i i'm not sure i'm not sure if it was better or if it was worse or if it was the same or if it was different it, it just kind of was do you, do you understand do you understand what i mean yeah i, th- I think the uh, something that we're gonna comment
1: on later as well with the gte roundup is these cars now are because of the the higher downforce, they are being driven harder in terms of braking, and that then changes how the car the cars pass in traffic. Yes. So we will mention the the Fassbender incident, and so long as the P three drivers remain um, wary of the differences, um, then everything will be fine. Whereas if they forget that, yes, the GTEs are heavier and they need to to have their own space in the braking zones, then, yeah, we'll, we'll see how yeah. it goes. But we're only basing this off one. Off yeah, one.
0: exactly. This is literally the first race of the new regulations, so we'll see how it evens out and how it doesn't even out over different tracks in the future rounds. Uh, You mentioned the Fassbender incident, and I think that's a great pivot point to talk about the GTE race at uh, Paul Ricard. Uh, Let's just dive in straight into that incident. So first of all, uh, big Hollywood star, Michael Fassbender, um, jumping into the ELMS paddock. And of course, as sports cars does, when it gets any sort of attention, uh, the spotlight was firmly focused on him while he was in the car. And he was involved in an incident heading down into the first chicane. Um, A P3 car came across the front, made a completed pass, and then slammed on the brakes, as they tend to do. Uh, The problem was Fassbender was already committed to his braking zone. And there was contact and it ended up spearing the Porsche off uh, that uh, fastbender was sitting in off to the right at quite a dramatic speed as well and actually made contact with the wall at Paul Ricard, which if you've seen Paul Ricard is a phenomenal achievement and uh, is something that you have to put in real effort to achieve. So it was quite a, a significant accident uh, that it ended up being and yeah, I just wanted to to talk about that for a bit because you made mention the, the P3s now with a little more power and a little more downforce it does change the way that they navigate traffic and this was a classic faster car well faster class forgetting about the slower classes uh, restrictions uh, in terms of the accident isn't it? It was just one of those things where if if uh, if the GTE car wasn't there it wouldn't have been a problem but because it was there you need to take that into account. I think Fassbender
1: did 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 a good job in terms of not wiping out the P3, but um, yeah, I th- I think maybe a bit of inexperience about stamping on the brakes, mm, yeah, um, super hard and just locking up the rears and going off into a spin. He hasn't had that much time in uh, a GTE RSR 911. He comes from a a gt3 cup background so i don't know if he's driven even a gt3 um, which is in between gt cup and um gte in terms of performance but yeah i i mean the the spotlight is going to be firmly on him and so we're going to know all about his is uh getting up to speed with sports cars in this kind of level but um i mean there's more to gte than a a star driver <laughs> so yeah single star driver but um you know the more people talk about it um the i guess the better it gets uh,
0: yeah and you you like you can say you know he it is pulling a bit of the spotlight away from other people but it is important that you know when these celebrities because they are celebrities when these celebrities do attract the spotlight of the the wider world um that you do make the most of it because it's an opportunity to bring more eyes into the sport and maybe more fans, even if they are casual fans. I mean, Patrick Dempsey, when he was a part of the WEC and sports cars in general, you know more more so when he was driving. Of course, he certainly had that factor of bringing people in, just because you go, "Oh, Patrick Dempsey, I know that guy. He's in this race. Okay, well maybe I'll give it a little bit of a watch, have a little peek, and uh, especially other sports people as well. You know, like when um, Sir Chris Hoy. Was driving in the P three and uh, and you know the likes of those sort of drivers, big name, uh, big name celebrities, who uh, add a little bit of uh, familiarity for people coming into the sport um, because it's you know very difficult to jump into a brand new paddock and see 60, 90 names of drivers that uh, you have no idea about. But if you can pick out a driver who you know. If it, even if that is through other means, say through their work as a sportsman or a celebrity or whatever, um, and it gives it gives you something to track and something to keep interest in, and yeah, I I think it's important and that it's important that we celebrate that, even if there is a bit of a betting in period, which it looks like Fassbender might need to go through, um. So yeah, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. Porsche are definitely cashing
1: in on it though or like pushing on it hard because you know putting in Rickard Adlietz in that car with sharing the car with him that is you know a big investment into Fassbender's driving career yeah um to have someone like that put in your car as your pro it's a a real statement of intent from Mm. Porsche um I believe that would mean potentially fastbender might be doing le mans because uh there is a Porsche which has laser is co uh, the the third co-driver but then there are TBDs
0: but i'm not 100% on that um that would be a huge step to make so quickly um like we've made mention of some other drivers who have maybe skipped steps up the sports car ladder and ended up at le mans and, and... uh, Put in an unflattering performance. It would be a huge leap to go from GT3 Cup to GTE Le Mans, uh, GTE European Le Mans Series to Le Mans in a season. So I that would be huge. I'm not necessarily sure it would be the right call. (laughs) I'll put it that way. Understood. Mm. Agreed. Uh, Should talk about the other major incident in gte which was uh, the the single major incident of the race as well and it was quite a scary incident between uh the 55 spirit of race ferrari i think it was uh, Dane, uh duncan cameron at the wheel at the time and there was contact with a p2 car heading into scene corner the fastest corner and most fearsome corner at paul ricard which speared the ferrari off into the wall and the uh P two car, I'm pretty sure it was oh I one of the Algarve Pro cars, is that correct? That I they thought
1: made? it was a P three I may be wrong.
0: Okay. Either way, it was a quite a, a violent accident in the end for the spirit of race car. I saw them uh DNF from the race, but yeah, what a scary incident at the at the peak speed of the Paul Ricard circuit. It's
1: one of the fastest corners in the world, probably. Mm. So yeah, I, I this maximum commitment. Um, bit scary just but, a little uh, yeah spirit of race i think they this was going to be the only european le mans series round they were going to do as well to get uh practice for le mans coming off the uh reserve list yes um because they've uh, taken a step back to do british gt instead um but Yes, it kind of puts a dampener on their practice for Le Mans. Uh, At least Duncan Cameron got time in the car, I guess, which is the most important thing. But uh, yes, hopefully there's more to come and uh, they have a clean run at Le Mans.
0: It was it was pretty pretty scary accident as well. We've talked, you know, same corner is a scary corner, and we've already made mention that it's very hard to hit the walls at Port Ricard uh, in certain places, and there's a lot of room at Sane corner to, to go off, and so the fact that they made the wall there is is quite terrifying. So it was very good that uh, neither driver was significantly injured, um, but it did put a bit of a damper on the GTE race, uh, which in the end was. Not quite dominated, but but comfortably taken out by the seventy seven Proton competition Porsche, Christian Reed, uh Michaeli Beretta and uh ooh, who is this third driver who I keep forgetting the name of? Um a picker... Is it Andrea. Andrea? I don't know. Is
1: it Andrea
0: I Picciarello? Think it's Picciarello, maybe. Alessio Picharello. Alessio. There we go. So they were uh I wouldn't uh, not quite unchallenged but they took out a, a comfortable victory from the Kessel Racing number 74 car um those three drivers I think making their European Le Mans series debut and coming away with a podium so congratulations to them and then the Iron Links replicating their re, uh result from last year's Paul Ricard race taking a podium for the Iron Ladies uh Michelsner, Michelle Gatting and Ray Helferay uh, a pretty quietly achieving race for them. They weren't really in the thick of anything too significant, but to come away with a podium is really nice. Yes, um, I think that's
1: backing up their um, podium from last season, I think, the Iron Dames had. uh, Yeah. um, Now they've moved
0: to To. the team Iron Lynx. Who were they before? Kessel? Yes, they were Kessel Racing, which is a little weird that you've got Kessel Racing and Iron Lynx uh racing side by side uh it it kind of screams uh as a maybe a oh, no. no it was Kessel Racing they were it, racing as Kessel Racing last year that's what they went to Le Mans as um because not only has uh Kessel Racing uh the sorry the Iron Ladies moved from Kessel Racing to Iron Links, but also uh she have only uh Oh, I can't see these names, Pianazzola. Pianazzola and Puccini, who were also racing in Kessel Racing under the Kessel Racing banner last year, have moved to Iron Links as well, so it, it, it kind of screams a, a bit of a, a coup for the um, whatever Iron Links has become, uh, that they've maybe split off from making, uh, r- sorry, riding under another team's banner and are going their own way.
1: Yes, they've partnered up with a F Corsa, who pretty much run most Ferraris mm. globally in motorsports, and uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good stable to be part of. Um, I'm looking forward to how the Iron Dames work, um, as they are committing to a GTM entry in the World Endurance Championship for next season onwards, um, and then this entry will then also be. F- Backfilled with another um, full female driver lineup um, it's not so competitive on paper in terms of being a bronze silver silver lineup where in the world Endurance Championship you've got platinums yes um, but races aren't raced on paper um, and they did better than the one of the best world endurance Championship GTM teams that decided to give uh, an ELMS round a go for extra practice. So you never know what could happen. Uh, I'm looking forward to at the next round, more GTM World Endurance Championship entries to kind of compare and contrast to see how maybe they could fare in in future. But uh, yeah, it's a good start and uh, good on them.
0: Yeah, it was. You you may mention that that team isn't really quite as impressive on paper, but on track, uh, I think especially Michelle Gatting and Rahel Frey are fierce competitors and quite good behind the wheel. Certainly, more pace than their silver ratings would uh, would suggest. So uh, maybe maybe someone to keep an eye on, uh, on the other races and just even, and maybe not for competitive sake, but for interest sake as well. It's still like we, we harp on about, uh, you know, things being a, a promo or a PR statement sometimes, but it's still uh, quite an achievement, uh, that they're doing this as an all-female lineup and they're getting results as well. It's not just a, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? a phone in they're not phoning it in no not not, not phoning it in but it's not just a stunt there he is it's not just a PR stunt oh, okay. it's actually okay. it's actually a, a serious effort you made mention uh, as well uh the one of the best gtm teams in the world endurance championship they ended up having a little bit of a shocker uh, unexpectedly. They were in the mix late in the races. The 98 we're talking about, the Aston Martin team of Paul Dallana, Ross Gunn, and Matthias Lauda, And they ended the race with a DNF. Now, I, it blows blows me away. This is another... I won't call it a schoolboy error that they did, but it's another one of those things that just shouldn't happen. They were... In the pit lane, when the leader crossed the line, and as such they were not on track, not running, and therefore not classified as a finisher, uh, due to their due to being in the pits when the leader crossed the line, it was a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a mess for them in the end. It was
1: emb- embarrassing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, who? Yeah, if you intended to have a a splash and dash because you're that marginal on fuel to then go completely like not classified it's just a bit of a joke
0: it's it's a, yeah it's not,
1: it's not a waste of money because they got i guess a lot of learning for and practice for Le Mans and you know paul dalalana's probably paid for x number of rounds racing his car so he's getting that out of it but He's a racer and he wants to win and he'll be pretty embarrassed by
0: this. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily a super clean race from the team either. They were involved in a little bit of contact early on with the P3 car because that P3 car was being driven by an amateur at the time and was a bit slow on pace. They actually uh, pulled a cheese grater off it and got given a penalty for that. So they were behind the eight ball from the very beginning And, yeah, that just capped off a a bit of a a messy round. They're definitely shaking off the cobwebs for for the 98 team as they look to restart their WEC campaign uh, in the coming week. Uh, Next week, that will be, but we'll talk a little bit about that later. In the end, though, it was Proton from Kessel from Iron Lynx. And, boy, it was so good to have ELMS back, wasn't it? I, I can't stop saying that. It was just so nice. Yeah, and you know, hopefully there's it's a lot more good to come. Speaking of good to come, ELMS are on track this weekend. They're currently setting up at the time of recording at Spa-Francorchamps for the second round of the season. And we've gone from, I think, what, what do we have in the first round? We had 15 P2s, 12 P3s, and 9 GTE cars for a total field of 36 at Paul Ricard. Come this weekend for Spa-Francorchamps, we will have 40 cars on the grid for the ELMS race, four hours of Spa-Francorchamps. That is a healthy grid if I've ever seen one. Yes, we're going up to 16
1: LMP2s, 12 LMP3s, and 12 GTEs.
0: I swear... Was it last season?
1: Some races only had four GTEs.
0: Yeah, it it felt like that sometimes. They started the season with nine, and then by the end of the season, there was only yeah five or six. So twelve GTEs—that's rivalry rivaling like the GTD class in IMSA which we said, we said 12 is a, a st- astonishing number after the the restart of the season so that's a big class to to be to be running around in and it's um as you made mention all thanks to a bunch of WEC cars wanting to come and play yeah it's a good product to to
1: entice people over because this this uh influx kind of validates the the GTE class in the European Le Mans series because you know if if some of the top teams are willing to to give it a go then it it must be a good thing. Um, it's good practice for the um, restart to the current World Endurance Championship season after a long break. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they compare with the uh, normal in inverted commas and um, the usual faces in ELMS GT, but
0: um, yeah, it's yeah. going to be good. Yeah, well, we'll just uh, cap off which drivers and which teams have made the decision to jump on the ELMS field in the GTE class. We've already made mention about the 98. They're returning for a second race. Um, so that'll be Paul Dallana, Matthias Lauda, and Augusto Fafus, uh, who will complete the rest of the WEC season with that team. And... Uh, will uh, also be alongside uh, Ross Gunn for the WEC round. So Farfus in a in an Aston Martin is a pretty interesting uh, note. We'll pick up, uh, we'll maybe chat a little bit about that in a second. Uh, the next one, uh, the next three will all be Ferrari. So the 54 AF Corsa Ferrari of Francesco Cattellacci and Thomas Floor, uh, And then the Red River Sport number 62 of Johnny Mullen, Bond Grimes and Charlie Hollings. And then the number 88 AF Corsa Ferrari, uh, which is normally the 83 in ELMS competition. But, of course, that number is already the Iron Dames for the ELMS. So it's the number 88 for this weekend. And that is Francois Perodo, Manuel Collard, and Harrison Newey. Um, so Newey, uh, I think that will also be his first run in a GTE AM car. Uh, and he, think so. yeah. yeah, and so that's uh, a... Interesting lineup of additional cars for the ELMS weekend. Of those four cars, I still think the 98 is the strongest, but it's very close between them and the AF Corsa effort. Um, and especially with Augusto Farfus in the 98 as well. That's a an unexpected uh, pickup, I think. I, I wouldn't have expected Farfus to jump into an Aston Martin, uh, least of all with Paul Dallalana. Lana.
1: Yeah, he's a great pickup because obviously pro BMW fame winning lots of GT three races and, and doing well there. It, it did seem like that was kind of a bit extra contractual as it were moving to another OEM and racing under their team. Um, because AM, uh, the, the, that 98 is run by the pro AMR mechanics
0: as it were. Yeah. Um, yeah, good pickup. Let's see how he does. Yeah, now, how about Harrison Newey as well? That's an interesting pickup. Normally, uh, Francois Prodo, and Manuel Collard are joined by... I can't remember off the top of my head. It has been so many people in the past. Is it Nicholas Nielsen? Yes, Nicholas Nielsen, um, who would normally also be running an ELMS car, which has not been there for this season. I'm not sure what's happened now to Nielsen Racing. Um, But yeah, Harrison Newey as a substitute is a really interesting interesting drive. And uh, the young driver, of course, uh, I believe it's the son of Adrian Newey, the famed uh, aerodynamicist, um, has put in some really, really good results lately, including a run in the P2 class... Well, he was running the P two class with Algarve last season in the ELMS, yes. and he had a run with Dragon at Daytona, and I he was also at Bathurst running, and then what did he run at Bathurst? And DTM. He doing DTM as well, and he's DTM, doing DTM as well. So he's got his fingers in a lot of pies at the moment, and this will be hopefully a tasty one for him. Yeah, it's it's a potentially a downgrade
1: because Nicholas Nielsen is now a professional Ferrari driver yes. doing GT World Challenge. So we were saying that Nielsen was a super, super silver. Yeah, um, We'll see how Harrison Newey shapes up in this uh, entry, but Perodo is a good good bronze driver. Uh, it's a competitive team.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I think Perodo uh, and Collard suit the GT car much more than their, they did the P2 car when they had their foray with TDS Racing into P2. Uh, speaking of P2, there is one additional P2 entry for Spa-Francorchamps in the uh, ELMS race and it is Yotasport. Sport. Uh, so they'll be running a... Uh, Orica 07 for Anthony Davison, Roberto Gonzalez, and Jake Dennis, uh, another uh, driver of GT fame, uh, for their entry into the ELMS. Now, Yoda Sport, of course, uh, have been running the Goodyear car in the World Endurance Championship. They've taken a race victory in that uh, championship at Fuji, if I remember off the top of my head we'll fact check that later we'll edit it or we'll fix it in post uh, how do you rate their chances against this ELMS field very strong it's a very
1: good team the the amateur Gonzalez he's taken a while to get up to speed after moving from Dragon Speed where he was supreme yeah um, compared to other amateurs um, maybe it was the the tyre switch to Goodyear and he's getting used to it But uh, Anthony Davidson, great driver, and uh, Jake Dennis, great driver. So they're a competitive team. They've got really good engineers. So, yeah, look out
0: for them. And we'll round back to this conversation in uh, in a while, in the second part of our discussions, because uh, those teams that are running dual entries at the for the WEC as well might have a bit of advantage that we'll talk about then. Now, that is our uh, quick chat. Well, quick chats ended up being an hour on the European Le Mans series wrap-up. What we'll do now is we'll move straight into the return to racing for the WEC for the first time in what feels like forever. First time since, I think, the 25th of February was the last race at the Circuit of the Americas for the WEC field. So that's now five months ago, almost. And we've got some big entry changes all, well for for the return to racing. A 31-car field... And the headline change in the entry is a string of changes in P1. Now, the second planned Rebellion uh, pre-, pre the shutdown um, has been removed from the entry list. So, Rebellion are returning with one car. Another significant change is that Janetta will not be fielding a car at all for the six hours of Spa-Francorchamps. um however the p two p one class rather is uh returned to full ish strength with uh the return of the bicolors uh car for their hit out before Lemon. A bit of a bit of a, a tumultuous time in P one in the the last throes of what has been one of the most interesting and engaging classes in sports car prototypes. Uh, the loss of Geneta is a really really big loss. Uh, with Le Mans just around the corner, isn't it? Yes, I think it's. Spa is historically,
1: because of its high speed nature, a um, a testing uh, done. Um, during a race kind of thing, um, leading up to Le Mans, um, historically. So yes, it is uh, an unfortunate move to make when you're trying to get ready for the big
0: one. Um,
1: But, yeah. It
0: happens yeah it's it's unfortunate that Jenna have made this decision I think it's well from what I've been hearing from various people and sources and what I've been able to put together through my own thoughts and ideas it, it feels like uh, a well budgetary constraints would be the major contributor worldwide at the moment so that f- certainly feels like a factor but it also feels like a bit of a a uh, a, a, oh, I don't want to say a middle finger to the ACO, but it does kind of scream like uh, shout that out a little bit. It, it doesn't seem that uh, Janetta have had the best relationship with the ACO ladder in the past few seasons, and this might just well be the death knell of it. Uh, so, yeah, not not great, uh, not great times for the Janetta camp uh, at the moment. Unfortunately, we might do a. Post mortem on the Janetta effort at uh, in the WC this season. Should we get compelled to do so because it's been it's been an interesting t- uh, foray into LMP1, hasn't it? For Janetta, yeah, they've
1: had with especially with the five the the pro car, uh, we'll call it. They've showed pace. There's there's kind of little inklings of of if a fully professional outfit takes it up. Um, what they could do with it and emulate what Rebellion have done this season especially with their several wins we'll just have to wait for what the six number six does um, with uh, a slightly more amateur leaning driver lineup for Le
0: Mans Um, but yeah we'll just just have to roll with it, I guess. Yeah, so I want to pose a, a quick question and don't feel compelled to answer if you don't know the answer, but do we see two Janetta's at Le Mans? Um, it's a great question. So I don't know
1: the financials of the driver lineups in terms of, the, especially thinking of the five. So if you think of, of the number six and kind of do it as to more towards a pro-am kind of, setup where you've got a uh, a pay driver if there are drivers out there that want to take the five on then yeah sure we can see two genetas. but uh or maybe maybe a you know a a team from lmp2 that wants to have a shot with the the car but um it's a it's a bit of a stretch i think
0: Certainly not quite uh, the perfect time for a global pandemic to uh, really turn the screws on uh, race team economies, unfortunately, for Janetta. More positive news now, though. Bike Hollers returning for a hit out pre-Le Mans was somewhat unexpected, uh, considering that they were on the reserve list for Le Mans, but very, very welcome, uh, I think, to see the CLMP1 at 01 back on track again. Hopefully, we actually see... a some semblance of pace from that car because their driver lineup, uh Tom Dillman, Bruno Spengler, and uh Oliver Webb, I think, is the third driver for the car yep. next weekend. Um that is that is a, a driver lineup with quality behind it and hopefully the car is able to echo that. Yes. Uh I'm looking forward to see how the the new guys get on in this
1: uh, chassis. Um I don't know how the rest is going to go. Yeah, they're going to have. They're going to have, I guess, good handicap levels. But I mean, they're going to do their best to negate that. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's they'll just be there. We'll see what happens. They might be there to pounce if there are any problems with the other cars in the class. But you know, that's standard.
0: Well. Yeah, I think we've say we we've, we've said with bike holders time and time again that if they beat the P2 field, they've done a remarkable job. So I think that'll be their goal, just to make sure that they get through the spa race with no problems because it will be a hit out for Le Mans, which let's not forget, at the time of recording, is six and a half weeks away. We are so close to Le Mans and it feels so wrong at the moment. It's not quite the same hype train and it's all out of whack, but we are so close to Le Mans. Um, just briefly on the rest of p1 it should we've gone through the handicap process yet again it's been a long time since we've seen these cars on track uh the toyotas at spa Francochamps maybe maybe spa might be the type of circuit which really plays to the non-hybrids top speed advantage uh with the handicap so maybe you'll see the rebellion's in a strong position. Um, honestly, it's been so long ago. I can't even recall the result of Coda. Did did the rebellions win at Circuit of the Americas, or was it the Toyotas? The the
1: rebellions did win, um, so they will be given the handicap that that goes along with that in yeah. terms of the points. But they're still way behind in the championship compared to Toyota, so they're still going to have a a, a favourable. Um, position on the 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 charts but then also janetta being out who would be on one lap pace a lot faster um it then means that you know rebellion are probably going to be still the fastest yeah
0: Um, And, and we've had this debate before about how the 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 handicap system works, whether it's a, like you raise the, the lowest team to the floor or bring the top team down to the top, down to the, the ceiling Um, with, with the genetics not being a consideration. It might actually even out, I'm not sure if it will even out or it will further exaggerate the difference in handicap between the two because you no longer have that very, very far behind floor that puts you at the maximum handicap. You might actually even see the Toyotas lose a bit of the handicap additionally because the points gap is no longer as broad as it was for the cars at the last round. Well, because it's
1: capped at 40 points, um, janetta has been behind that cap and so of Rebellion. For A very long time, Oh, okay. So, Rebellion so have been blowing that as difference, well. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. So, um, yeah, yeah, fair enough. We'll More entries in P2 as well, with the Algarve Pro Racing team making the jump up from the ELMS to the WEC for this race as well. And Eurasia Motorsport coming across from the Asian Le Mans series for a round, a pre Le Mans hit out. Uh, for the six hours of Spa-Francorchamps. Now, this was a surprise to me uh, with uh, Yamanaka and Daniel Gaunt being joined by Augusto, or not Augusto Fafas, Roberto Mary, um for the, uh, the six-hour race. Um, I hope that's still going to be dressed up in the New Zealand livery because that looks sick. And it's going to be really interesting to see how Eurasia compare to the teams in the WEC because I think Eurasia... Could spring of surprise. I'm not expecting them to win, but they might might just steal a podium. I think.
1: Wow, well, you never know. They they're in it to win it. I guess
0: mm. they are also the only Ligier representatives for the six hour of Spa, so that will be another little feather in their cap to to look at. For the race, but as per usual, all the usual suspects are there. Uh, remember, United Auto Sports have been a part of uh, the P2 class in the WEC as well with Hanson and Albuquerque, and they've got Paul Resta with them to complete that team. I, I'm just looking at this entry list because I haven't in six months, and it's it's like oh, all these names I used to remember now they've all just dropped out of my head. Um, so we'll we'll definitely uh be be intrigued by the P two race. It surprises me though that G Drive aren't taking up the opportunity to do a pre Le Mans hit-out at Spa Francorchamps because there is no G Drive car on the entry list. So they w- their last opportunity for uh drive time will be um the Elms race this weekend. Yes, that's correct.
1: Um, I don't know if they need it that much because they're so experienced mm, That's true. as a team uh they're also getting the experience at a better uh level from the racing team nadalon team so they bef- before tds operated tds racing which was the parodo car which wasn't really that competitive yeah So maybe the data that they were getting from that car wasn't so representative um for the g drive more competitive car so maybe they can take the data from the racing team Nalon performance with the the faster drivers and yep. uh, apply that to um learnings for the the g drive
0: hmm. pardon me interesting point there so uh, of course that'll be something to keep a watch on 10 car field for p2 uh for the race um Next is uh, no real changes in GTE Pro, uh, the same six cars that we've had all season, and uh, in GTE Am, I think, well, it's still the same 11-car lineup, but there are a few TBAs still on the entry list regarding one of the Dempsey Proton cars, so not quite sure on that one yet. Now, I did make mention that we were going to touch on this in the Spa, uh, the ELMS review. Now, the teams that have uh, doubled up on entries, the likes of Red River Sport, AF Corsa, and uh, Aston Martin Racing, and the last one is on the tip of my tongue. Where has it gone? Uh, no, two AF Corse, Two AF Corsa cars, of course. Yeah they will have the benefit of an additional race weekend worth of testing, basically, from the ELMS race to take over into the WEC race. Now, how much of an effect do you think that will have on their performance in the WEC race, uh, you know, of course, stretching it out to six hours, but you do get, you know, additional three sessions of practice, so additional qualifying and an additional four hours of track time to really dial in your car. Do you think that's uh, that might play into effect in the WEC race? Yes,
1: providing. Well, it depends on the the conditions. You know, if if you've got a cold, damp, wet race, yeah, it, you're gonna you're gonna learn what the amateurs are going to remember the corners better yeah. <laughs> as if they were in a simulator. I think yes, it is valuable in terms of being comfortable with your surroundings, but it depends on the weather. Um, in my opinion, and, and I think the, the 88, um, the drivers have been just announced oh, okay. a couple of days ago. So it's Thomas, uh, Thomas prining, Adrián Delena and Satoshi Hoshino. Ah, yes,
0: Hoshino, yes. Brilliant. From- who is who is uh that second name that you made mention of, A- Andrea Delena? Adrián Delena. Um Oh, that's that sounds in Porsche Supercup. Ah, oh, okay. Fantastic. I think which I've certainly been watching a lot, a lot more of seeing as I've got access to it and it's been on and there's not been too much else to watch lately. A great series Super Cup is actually. I should have been watching it longer. Now, 31 cars is not the same strength as the ELMS field, but it is still a uh, interesting uh, enough for an interesting race, especially in the Prototype 2 and the GTM class. Now are you brave enough to make any predictions in terms of race winners in class for that race? Are you brave enough, Ollie? No. No, okay. Am I going to be able to force you into it anyway? Yes. <laughs> so for the benefit of our listeners at home, who do you think, in your expert opinion, seeing as you've got all these graphs and everything that you've been doing, uh, who, who do you reckon is going to be the ones to watch?
1: So... Rebellion will win overall because of the handicap levels, I think. Yeah, good team. So long as they do a clean race, they deal traffic well. Uh, In P2, my pick for the win would be United Autosports. Okay, yep. Uh, In GT Pro, I'm going to go with the 91. Nice. and um if it's going to be really hot i'm not sure about aston martin <laughs> in, in in that class because they do a lot better with like cold wet races yep. i think they burn through their tires too too much um and uh ooh, gtm gtm uh i can't remember the ballast levels oh yes of course that's another
0: complexity we
1: haven't talked about they have the success ballast system which is is working okay um i think the ben keating car the 57 is okay um but they're gonna have weight i think the tf sport they're gonna do well but they have weight
0: oh i don't know so it's very interesting no, just to jump in over the top of you that you mentioned the weather um because I've just went and had a bit of a lookerrooy at the spa Francochamps weather forecast for this weekend for the e l m s weekend it is forecast to hit thirty two degrees at race time at race start for for the ELMS field which is A really nice summer's day, actually. I'm a little jealous. I'd love 32 degrees uh, at the moment, seeing as I'm freezing my butt off in Australia, uh, where it's been quite cold lately. For the WEC race, it is, at this stage, and we're talking 9-10 days away, uh, forecast to be 20 degrees, with a non-zero chance of rain throughout the race. So quite a difference in temperatures and ambient conditions. So yeah, interesting that you bring up temperature, and it'll be interesting to see how that affects the the racing there. Okay, do, with that that knowledge under your belt now, does that change uh, your your thinking? Well, I've said it now. Of it. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, I I'll agree with you on on uh, P one. I don't think uh, with the ballast situation the way that rebellion will be headed. Uh, I actually would uh, I'll, I'll chuck in racing team Netherlands as a as a dark horse here i reckon if if fritz can have if fritz can have a good stint and he's had a good stint uh, once or twice at spa and we've seen the likes of van and van oetert do amazing things at spa i reckon if they get lucky they might they might nab one uh another one let's not forget uh i'm always going to pick porsche and gte pro so i don't even know why i bother and for Am. I reckon the AF Corsica, the the number 83, despite whatever ballast that they've got on board, I reckon they'll still have the pace. And I think the fact that they're racing the week prior will, uh, will give them a little bit of an advantage. Now, this is all very important for these teams because this is their last hit out before Le Mans, which, as I've said already, is only going to be six weeks after this race. It snuck up on us, hasn't it? It's very, very close, and it doesn't really feel like Le Mans time uh, obviously for, for a variety of reasons, but it's not too far away and it won't be too long until we're staying up all night to watch this, uh, this race on the French uh, streets. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming along pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. There's no excuses for, uh, being unprepared for these teams. So they've, they've got to be ready. And, uh, raring to go in not that long, long a time. And they haven't had a f- half of a full season to prepare as we would usually have. Uh And then for, for WEC, obviously, it's the the finale to a season. Uh, not, well, not, this not, season. not this season. Not this season, no. Not
0: but, anymore. But
1: whatever. <laughs> um, uh, also, I don't think I picked a GTM. So I'm going to stick my neck out and say the... 56. 56? 56, the, the The other
0: Bold t- the Team Project yeah. 1 car? Yeah, that's fair. Here that's fair call. Yeah, um, yeah it's... I, I think the, the results from this race will be not as useful as indicators for Le Mans. In the past, you know, we've said that Spa is basically the test bed for for the Le Mans race. It's the, the dress rehearsal, kind of like how the Paul Ricard 6 hours, the dress rehearsal for the Spa 24. But I, I think there's going to be a lot more going through the process blowing out the cobwebs you know we've been off for five months in wc competition so for a lot of these teams a lot of these drivers it's going to be their first foray back into proper racing for a long time so it's going to be uh maybe not as clear cut as it might appear at the end of this race in saying that though it is going to be quite nice to have wc back it is already very nice to have uh lms back and Uh, From the sounds of the the Road America race, it's also been nice to have IMSA back. Um, And this weekend uh, coming up, we've made mention that there's ELMS. uh, There's also, if you're into sports cars, the GT World Challenge Europe and GT World Challenge America. And a bunch of supports for other series around the world. There's like eight or nine different major motorsports events on this weekend. So if you've not got anything planned, well now you do. Uh, On that note, thank you very much for joining me tonight, Oli. I hope you recover nicely from your very nice bike ride yesterday. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) Uh, I hope your legs don't turn into mush over the course of the next 12 hours. Uh, And thank you very much for listening and sticking with us. Uh, We will see you guys after the next WEC race, hopefully, um, for a wrap-up and a wind-up to Le Mans. I've been Michael Zalavari. Peace out!